We are talking today about our vision for the coming year, and we talked about it last week as well. Last week, I introduced this idea of all in, all together. Our vision, when I say 2021, 2022, it really, starting next week, we're starting new stuff. It's kind of a school year calendar, if you will. So that's our vision for the coming year, all in, all together. We started this church, um, it was about, it's over seven years ago. And uh, we met, for a while we met um, as, a, as a, like a team, a team of 15, and we met in my living room, and then we started having public services across the street in the theater in 2014. Um, and we've come a long way since then. We've learned a lot. I actually, I actually saved, I have a bunch of on my um, like Google Drive or whatever, I have saved a bunch of like documents from the early days of the church of like, here's what we're gonna do. And I just look at them and laugh. Um, and the reason that's good and healthy is because I have to remember that whatever we're doing right now, I might look back at in 10 years and be like, okay, you know, the same thing. So it's a good, it's a good uh, source of humility for me. We've also had a lot of wins. We've done a, lot, we've done a lot of good things. We've seen a lot of life change. We've baptized people. We were able to get this place, get this thing built. God has really been good to us in a lot of ways. But this coming year is a little bit of a reset for us. We're, we're, we're moving into a little bit of a reset button season in the sense that um, we have an opportunity if you guys, I mean, some of you guys were here pre, uh, pre-pandy, I call it. Some of you were not. But we were, we were approaching, um, we, were appro- we were coming up against a lot of growing pains before the pandemic as a church. And as a team, we were talking through the, that stuff. We were starting to navigate things we'd never navigated before in terms of like, there's a lot of people here, there's a lot of kids here, and we... Um, we're moving into a season where the people who have been doing a lot of the work for a long time are going to start getting burnt out. And um, we, made some, we made some missteps along the way with that. As our church attendance grew, we tried to do too much to ac- accommodate and get everybody connected. We stretched too thin and we made a lot of mistakes in the process. As we move into this, this reset button time, what we're really trying to do is is get back to the basics of some of the good things we did at the beginning and learn from the mistakes we made along the way at the same time. So that's what this year is all about. One of the things we always did at the beginning was everybody did everything together because everybody was like 20 people, right? And there was this big sense of ownership. There was this big sense of like, I need to be there and show up. If I'm not there, I'm gonna be missed because my family is 20%, 15% of the church. So if we're not there, it's really going to hurt. If we just forget to tithe this month, it's a real problem, right? Whatever it is. And one of the things, as we grew, we tried to fan out. We said, you do that, you do that, you do that. And we, we tried to do that in ways that, in some cases, honestly, we weren't ready for. In some cases, we weren't ready for it. And this year, we are going to focus on what we can do together. That means doing a little bit less. Um, trying to do a few things really well. But when we say all in all together, I've, I've broken it down into three things that we're gonna be trying to do. The first is belonging together. Last week I talked about belonging together. 
what it means to build a sense of belonging t- together as a church family. And then the, uh, we also talk about growing together and serving together. Today we're going to focus together. If you want to go back, and the sermon from last week is about belonging together, so you can catch that if you want. But today we are talking about growing together. The basic idea here is uh, we're here to grow. We're not here to stay in the same place. And whether you've been here since we've started or you're visiting for the first time, which if you are, we're glad you're here. This is something we all need to be in together on, on the same page about. We're not supposed to stay in the same place. So a year from now, none of us should be where we are today. I want to be a little more specific because grow can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. And we're going to get into a little bit more what we're talking about when we say grow. But I'm going to put up a quote. I just heard this quote yesterday, and then I like was changing around to my sermon this morning and annoying everybody. Because I heard this quote, and it's so good. I'm going to put it up on the screen. It's from a guy by the name of Jared Wilson. Jared Wilson's a pastor, and he speaks a lot to pastors, equips church leaders. And he says this, what you win them with, you win them to. What you win them with, you win them to. And what he's talking about is in a church setting, if somebody comes in and they, and they, like, they decide, okay, I'm going I'm to put my faith in Jesus and I'm going to follow and I'm going to be a part of this church. What you win them with, you win them to. We are trying to win people with the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's in John chapter 8. We're going to read more of it in a second. That's what we're trying to win people to. Freedom in Christ based on hearing, believing, and knowing the truth. So that's what we're trying to win people to. That's what we need to win them with as well. Because we are not a friend group. That's not what church is. So if we win you with friendship, that's, what we're, that's also what we will win you to. Relationships are a big part of church, but it's a specific kind of relationship. One grounded in the truth. We're not a professional network. That's not what church is. We're not a civic organization. We're not a break from your kids, as you're all finding out. <laughs> we talked about belonging together last week. If we want to truly belong together, our belonging has to be grounded in true things. We believe that God is the source of all truth and that Jesus was sent as the embodiment of that truth and the way by which we can access it. So when we talk about growing together, we're talking about growing together in truth. We are a church where we want to grow together in truth. Wherever you are, you need to grow. I need to grow. So please don't hear this as, as, you, as like a holier than thou, you need to get on my level. No. We all need to constantly be growing together in truth. That's where true, that's where true belonging comes from. Real truth. That's the grounding of it. So our discovery of what is true, our curiosity to learn in truth is so important. As a community, we should be hungry for it. We should be all in on it. 
So, to talk a little bit more about this idea of growing together in truth, we're going to look at a couple big passages. I'm going to read a lot of Bible this morning for you. From the book of John. John's the fourth gospel in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's somewhat distinct from the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are uh, collectively referred to as the synoptic gospels because they, ha- they give similar accounts of Jesus' life. They're all a little different, and they work together really well. But they are, they are sort of a collected, uh, a collected, collected thing known as the synoptic gospels because of their similarity. John's gospel is set apart. John's gospel is set up differently, specifically with a goal in mind. To make clear to the reader that Jesus is the truth. Not that Jesus' words are true. Not that Jesus is the purveyor of true things. That Jesus is the actual living embodiment of the truth. So as we read these passages, I want you to notice how much the word truth or true or truly is used. And I also want you to notice how, how many times there's a couple words that are kind of synonymous for truth, in a sense. The word, the word, word, and the word light. So look for these words. We're starting first at the very beginning of John chapter 1. This is a pretty familiar passage. If you don't know it, that's totally okay. John chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning... Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Jesus here is the Word. Jesus is the embodiment of the Word on earth when he lives on earth and lives life on earth. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. They they talk about, uh, the writer talks about John the Baptist here, uh, think is, is actually, it's two Johns. So the author John, but then John the Baptist. And he talks about John bearing witness. And we're going we're gonna to see the significance of that as we read on, because that was a thing in the Mosaic Law, the idea of needing two witnesses for something to be true. That was a part of how the veracity of a claim was established, was by two witnesses. So John is making this case to two readers who, in, in I think his audience primarily, he's thinking about Hebrew people and saying, Look, there was this other witness to this. It was John the Baptist. And Jesus does the same thing, actually, in John chapter 5. He has, a, he has kind of a, a discussion, a disagreement, and he talks about, he's like, well, I have a witness. John the Baptist came before me. And Jesus understood it wasn't fully his time yet to say what he's going to say that we're going to read in chapter 8, which is where he says, I don't care if I have another witness. I'm the truth. It doesn't matter. 
And things start to escalate. This next one's a little bit dramatic, so we're going to read it now. Chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 12 here. So Jesus is out doing ministry here. And in, in John chapter 8, verse 12, he says, When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, Even if I tes testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. So the Pharisees, that's a, that's a, a sect of Judaism. And at this point, what they're really trying to do is they're trying to discredit Jesus. They're, they're specifically trying to find a way to discredit Jesus. And it's, uh, it's going to get interesting here. Jesus says, you judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true. Because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. They asked him, well, where is your Father? Jesus replied, you do not know me or my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not come. So he basically, they would have considered that blasphemous, but for whatever reason, um, his, his hour to go and uh, be in big trouble with the Pharisees had not yet come. Telling the Pharisees, you do not know my father, was a pretty big deal because they understood what he was saying. Um, he's saying, no, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you, you claim to be waiting for. I am he. I do know my father, and you don't. You've been getting it wrong. They're not going to love that, right? Okay, skipping ahead again. We're going to skip ahead to verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who, is, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from my father, from your father, sorry. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were, Ab if we, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. There's points in Scripture where Jesus uses parables, and he's, he's specifically setting things up in a way that the people who are truly seeking truth will understand. Here, this is not a parable. Jesus is saying like, nope, this is what it is. All right, he keeps going. Why, why is my language, oh, this is so good. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. So good. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, here's what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon possessed? <laughs> Jesus is the answer. I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but, but, there is, but there is no one who seeks, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so, did our pro- and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? He's like, I already told you, but okay. Um, Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are, you are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham. Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. So they didn't like it. They were like, okay, we're going to start throwing rocks at you now. Literally. There is so much there. There is so much there. Big idea, though. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus' words are true. The Bible is about Jesus. The stuff before Jesus points to Jesus. And the stuff after Jesus, what Jesus starts. But as Jesus says here, some will never be receptive to the truth. There's an example in Scripture of uh, the, the rich young ruler is a popular one. He's not going to be receptive to the truth. Jesus knows this. He holds on to the lie that his wealth will bring him greater fulfillment than following Jesus. When we talk about truth, when we talk about growing in truth, it all starts with Jesus. One of the big takeaways from this passage for me, as Jesus is talking to these people, when he says, when he says it's actually because I'm telling the truth that you don't understand. You don't understand because it's the truth. And it's because you're not seeking the truth. That's not your motive. You are trying to find a reason to paint me as someone who you can run out of town or kill. When we don't seek the truth, we won't find it. When we don't seek the truth, we won't find it. You know, today, we like to analyze, we like to assign blame. It's Facebook. Talk about how how, how there's so much less trust in institutions. Consensus seems harder to come by than ever. 
But this is not new stuff. Jesus is saying the same thing. Because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. You want no part of the truth is basically what he's saying. Your father is the father of lies. And sometimes in our world today, we want no part in the truth. We prefer to cling to our lies. We don't trust that Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the light of the world is better than staying in our darkness. Jesus is talking to religious people. He's talking to religious people. Religious people who don't want the truth. I think the application of that in a church setting is pretty clear. I'm going to read a couple of passages from Paul talking about the same idea. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul is like, he's like at the end. He's at the end, and he's talking to Timothy, who he equipped to be a minister of the gospel. And he's basically, he's like, he's, Paul knows he's about, to, he's about to get killed for faith. He's been in jail. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of this, of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Timothy, he gives the charge to Timothy. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So according to Paul, fake news isn't a real thing. Fake news isn't a real thing. Echo chambers aren't a, aren't, aren't a new thing. They've existed for a while. It's not an algorithm. It's not an algorithm that makes us surround ourselves with the sort of things we want to hear. It's our own selfish desires. The reason we have fake news is because we want it. The reason we have fake news is because we want it. We love blaming the media. You guys all know how our economy works, right? Maybe not some of the kids. <laughs> we have a market-driven economy. If there wasn't a market for fake news, we wouldn't have it. There's very little market for simple delivery of facts. Why? We're not that interested in it. So can we at least acknowledge that? Can we stop pretending that it's something that's happening to us against our will that we have no control of? Paul, Paul just described echo chambers about 2,000 years before the internet. We want to believe lies. It's in our flesh. It's a part of our old self apart from Christ. We find what we want to hear and then we listen to it. And if we're, not, if we're not in the spirit, if we're not in Christ, it's not going to be the truth. And here's the thing, guys. We know. We actually know that what we're consuming 
is at best partially true. We know that, and we do it anyway. We do it anyway. One more verse, Ephesians chapter 5. Now Paul talking to the church in, church in Ephesus. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. I love the simplicity of find out what pleases the Lord. Why do we need to grow in truth? We need to find out what pleases the Lord and then do more of it. He keeps going. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And there it is. There's the why. There's the why we need to grow. There's, there's the why we need to stay curious, stay in discovery mode. We need to understand what the Lord's will is. We need to understand what the Lord's will is. The Lord's will for your life is not going to contradict Scripture. It's not going to contradict the life and the way of Jesus. It's not going to contradict goodness and righteousness. Those are fruits of the light that he mentions earlier in this passage. It's not going to contradict the truth. God's will for your life will never be rooted in things that are not true. So we need to grow together in the truth. Band, come up. We're going to sing together, and then I'll close us out. Would you guys stand with me for a second? We're going to spend into, into our time of singing this morning. Around this simple idea of understanding the Lord's will. Understanding the Lord's will. Because it's different than our will a lot of the time. So God, would you guide our hearts this morning? Would you guide us into your truth? Guide us away from our truth, Lord, and into your truth. As we sing, God, the words that we sing, I pray that we could believe them and apply them. We love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Just really quickly, I want to make a few, a few points about this idea. Because we're talking about God's will. Trying to know God's will, sense God's will, live out God's will. That's what it means to grow together in truth, to do a better job of that year after year after year in all aspects of our life. There's a couple things. First thing, there is always truth. There is always truth. God is the source of truth, and God is everywhere. He created us, he created this world, and through Jesus, he is redeeming it in the midst of a lot of lies. 
There's always truth. And Christians, we should be seekers, discoverers, and tellers the truth. In every instance, there is always truth. There's always truth. And church people, sometimes we resist the truth. We resist the truth. We've sort of, we've accepted the basic idea that if God says it's true, we have to do it, right? Or once we know it's true, we're supposed to be on the side of truth. Once we know it's true, we have a responsibility to do the truth thing, right? So sometimes our temptation is to resist the truth. The Pharisees were in a similar position. They were in a similar position. If this guy's really the truth, it's going to be a big change for us, and we kind of like our life the way it is. We actually don't want that change. And so the truth is staring them in the face, and they miss it because they don't want the truth. They aren't seeking the truth. They're instead seeking their own desires like Paul talks about. There is always truth. Sometimes we want to maintain plausible deniability. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. It's like, well, were you trying to find out? No, I was actually intentionally trying to not find out so that I could keep doing what I was doing. We intentionally blur or gray situations that aren't actually that blurry or gray. We focus a lot on which of, which of a series of lies is the least bad instead of rejecting them all. When we're presented with something we don't like, sometimes there's something in us that says, ooh, that might be true. And if it is true, I'm going to have to make some changes. And instead, we go online and we find the opposite answer. We find some pastor somewhere saying that what we already want to be true is true. And then we say, well, I don't know what to believe. I guess I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. There is always truth. And sometimes, sometimes, honestly, we're scared. We're scared. We're scared of the truth. And if you grew up in the church like me, there is this feeling when um, sometimes you have this realization in a conversation or Somebody says something or you hear something. You have this realization, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know that much about the Bible. I don't really know. All of this, I'm basing my whole life on this thing. I don't know that much about it, and that freaks me out. I'm scared that if I start to dig in more, I'm going to lose my faith. My life's going to fall apart. I'm going to become an atheist, and then I'm going to get a divorce because my wife's not, whatever. <laughs> but it's true. We believe that it's true. And yet, we resist learning more about it sometimes because we're scared. Church, we are called to walk in the light, to be children of the light, in the truth, in the freedom that comes with the truth. There is always truth. This thing where, this thing where we, we're, we're stuck with a decision or how we're supposed to navigate something, how we're supposed to navigate politics, how we're supposed to navigate COVID, whatever it is. We do, we really like to do this thing where we say like, eh, it's impossible to know. It appeals to us because it takes the responsibility out of the situation. 
We want to maintain plausible deniability, but there is always truth. God's will is always the truth thing. Not our truth. I can't trust my truth. I've got itchy ears like Paul talks about. My truth is looking to to build up a false identity in me and seek affirmation in the wrong things and things that aren't true. My truth is selfish. My truth likes comfort too much. My truth wants riches and power too much. My truth likes my pet sins that I don't want to let go of too much. But God's will is always the true thing. And church, we need to be all in on discerning what that is. Growing in that discernment of what God's will is. What is God's will for us in any situation? When something comes up and you're like, well, there's nothing in the Bible directly about this thing. There's nothing in the Bible about how to handle a pandemic, for instance. No, but there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth. And God's will is always the true thing. And we need to, we can grow in discernment by getting really good at recognizing truth for what it is. God's will is always the true thing. Lies are the source of all sin. The devil is the father of lies. In our, in our world, I think some, we're way too concerned. We're way too concerned about power, and we're not concerned enough about truth. The devil's not going to overpower you, but he's going to deceive you if you let him. We're way too concerned about power, not concerned enough about truth. And so much, and if we really believe that lies are at the source of sin, it should change, it should change how we try to grow. So much discipleship content in churches is focused on symptoms and not on the source. How to get out of debt. How to be a real man. How to stop gossiping. Whatever it is. It's <laughs> these practical teachings that go to a simple practical thing and say, here's how you do it. Here's a tool for it. If you're believing a core lie in your identity, you don't have, you don't have an, an information issue. Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know how to balance my checkbook and now it's all good. That's usually not what's happening, right? You want to read a book about gossip? Great, read a book about gossip. But ultimately, if you like to gossip, it's for a different reason, you're trying to connect with someone around something else. There's symptoms of lies we believe. It's not that practical teaching is never helpful. But lies keep adapting and changing, and symptoms will keep popping up, but the truth can set us free. The best way to stop sinning is to stop believing lies. The best way to stop believing lies is to get to know the truth. John talked about this not too long ago in a, in a sermon. The, the lies coming at us are gonna continually adapt and change. Our best bet is to know what truth looks like, to know the real thing when it's staring us in the face, to do what the Pharisees could not do. John talked about how, how this is how they train somebody to spot a counterfeit bill because there's lots of different kinds of counterfeit bills. They just get really, really good at knowing the real thing. And then when they see a counterfeit, they say, that's not right. 
So yeah, the Bible doesn't have a direct application for every single thing in our lives, but gain the wisdom that it has for us. If we gain the discernment that it has for us, I believe this with all my heart, it applies to every area of our lives. Yeah. Sometimes, we, sometimes we do this thing where, we, you know, like I, I've had people come up to me after, after John preaches. I get defensive when people give him a hard time because he'll be back up here in a week and he's better than I am at this. But, but they'll say, what was the practical application of that? And I'm just like, the, the Bible. What are you talking about? Learn the stupid thing. It's not a stupid thing. I shouldn't have said it that way. Learn the Bible. It is practical application. If we know it, we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Now, there's more to truth than the Bible. Big part of the foundation for that. I'm going to read this verse one more time. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's growing in our followership of Jesus. Growing in truth is growing in our followership of the person who walked on earth and said, I am the truth. It's growing in our understanding of Scripture. If you don't know how to apply it, I don't know what to tell you sometimes. Grow, gain wisdom and understanding by actually digging into it. We gotta care more about the Bible. I'm, it's like what this is all based, like this is the thing that we base it on. And a lot of us are just kind of like, eh, I mean, I don't really do it myself, but we gotta care more about it than that. Growing in truth is about further grounding our identity in Christ so that we don't believe lies about who we are. We are who God says we are. It's growing a rich inner life with God so we can self-examine, self-reflect, and be guided by God's spirit. Sometimes people come up to me and they say, I don't know what the practical application of that was. And I say, well, I know what it was for you, but you can't see it. I, don't, I think that probably, right? <laughs> Sometimes we're not self-aware and then we can't apply. Sky Jatani, an author who I like a lot, says self-awareness is a prerequisite for discipleship. You can't apply something to your life if you don't know your life. Growing in the truth of your inner life with God, be guided by God's spirit, self-examine, self-reflect, search me and know me, God. It's growing in our ability to be honest and transparent with others as a genuine expression of true love. So there's a lot to growing in truth. We're going to do that this year. We're starting a new campaign next week. I'm really excited about it. John's going to be doing the majority of the teaching. That's the main thing I'm excited about is I don't really like preaching that much. But we're going to be starting to dig into some of these things. And all year we're going to be trying to grow together in truth. At the end of each campaign, we're going to have a conference. I want to be all in, all together on those weeks. We're going to have these weeks where we focus, we dig in together, we learn more, we discover. We want people to walk away from those weeks with a sparked curiosity to learn more, to go on their own, to, to read that book, to dig into the Word, to listen to those podcasts, whatever it is, to do it on their own. Your best growth in your faith is going to happen on your own. It's going to happen on your own. You need guidance sometimes. You need a structure to be a part of. But if you're not curious, if you're not trying to discover, uh, it's not going to happen. 
You can learn it. Like, long drives in my car by myself. I, so much growth can happen if you use that time. And you won't use that time if you're not curious, if you're not trying to discover. The truth can set us free. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing one more song together. But when we do this this year, when we try to grow, when we, when we offer something, when we have a class, when we say hey, it's conference week, it's time for everyone to be involved, we need you guys. We need to grow together. We need to be all in on this stuff. Stand with me, would you? God, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We love you. As we sing one more song, Lord, would you just be honored and glorified? Would your heart be just so glad with what you hear? In Jesus' name.